All right, so last week was Easter, right? Jesus rose from the dead. We're over that now, though, right? You know why we come together every Sunday? Because Jesus rose from the dead on Sunday. He's still alive. Amen? You guys, come on. He's still alive. Right? And so he's here with us, just like he was with us last week. We had a great time of celebration last week to celebrate the, the resurrection. We're always over at Cole, and so if you guys are ever around on Easter, I know a lot of you guys had places you go, but just a fantastic time over there meeting with each other, but also meeting with him. Um, today, we start a new, a new series. We're going to be looking at a book in the Old Testament that some of us may have heard the name of, never knew where it was, but it's called the book of Zacharias, a prophet the Old Testament named Zechariah had a lot to say about really for us this season. The season that we're going into is the season that leads up to a day called Pentecost, which was when the Spirit, the Holy Spirit was poured out on the church and the people of God, the chosen ones of Jesus that were following him and all that, um, they, were, they were filled with his Spirit. And so Zechariah had a lot to say about the Spirit and um, some very important things to say about the Spirit. So we're going to go uh, on that journey together. Because God wants us to be his people, wants us. He chased after us first, amen? We didn't chase after him. And so uh, we are here to uh, find out what he has to say to us. How many of you guys have ever been in a position, in a place, in a situation where you had a challenge in your life, something that you were facing, a struggle, that someone entered into it with you, they helped carry that struggle with you, and because of that, you found that you formed this connection with them. It was kind of this unexpected kind of friendship. Anybody had that happen, right? Most of us, right? Because challenges are all around us. It may have been short, short term, like you're at the top of this you know, terrifying roller coaster, and on your way down, you grab the person's hand next to them, whether you know them or not, right? Very short-lived, you get to the end, you're like, oh, Sorry, right? But for that time, that was an instant connection and friendship, support for one another. It may be something that lasted a lifetime, right? Many of you know that uh, yesterday was actually the 10th anniversary of the bombing at the Boston Marathon. Horrendous event, destroyed and just devastated some people's lives together. You know, just running a marathon together will connect you with people. But when you listen to the stories of some of the people that went through that event, shared that day, shared that event, what you find is that there are events that are so deep and that people, when they shoulder that struggle with us, they bond us so deeply that actually it can even take total strangers and make them family. And you find 10 years later, you have these relationships that continue and these, these connections that continue because of what happened on that day. In the book of Zechariah in the Old Testament, Zechariah was a prophet of God. He's encouraging the people of God who had just gone through 70 years of trauma, 70 years of struggle, 70 years of captivity. They're finally making it to their home now, their homeland. Now, the events leading up to the captivity were, were terrible. The, the, the time in captivity was brutal. But now what they were finding was even though officially the captivity was over and they were back in their homeland, they're finding that the struggles, the challenges, these, the adversity just kept on coming. Now, do any of you guys relate to that? You think you know, something's over and then you're like, oh, it's still there. It's still rolling in. The first thing that Zechariah challenges these people with to think about 
saying, think about who it is that you are going to pull alongside, who it is that God may have brought to walk with you alongside in this thing. Because he knew, he knew whichever way they leaned, whichever, whichever kind of strength, whichever person and people and network they leaned on, that they would become bonded in a very important way to this network. And so he was challenging them, think about it. Because he knew that the, the, it didn't just have to do with the people that were around them. It also had to do with whether they would lean forward with God in faithfulness and in blessing or whether they would lean backwards to their forefathers and just continue the futility, the failure that they had seen before. So he challenged them. We're gonna stand. Uh, let's listen to these. These are God's opening words in Zechariah 1, 1 through 8. That's the one thing you know, prophets get to do. They speak and it's really not their words. It's words that God is just pouring through them. And so these are the words of Zechariah 1, 1 through 8, but these are God's words to his people. In the eighth month of the second year of the Persian king Darius, the word of the Lord came to Zechariah the prophet, the son of Berechiah, the son of Edo, saying, the Lord was very angry with your forefathers. Therefore say to these people, thus says the Lord of hosts, return to me, declares the Lord of hosts, that I may return to you, says the Lord of hosts. Do not be like your forefathers, to whom the former prophets called out, saying, thus says the Lord of hosts, return now from your evil deeds and from your evil ways. But they did not listen or give heed to me, declares the Lord. And your forefathers, where are they? And the prophets, do they live forever? But did not my words and my statutes, which I commanded my servant, the prophets, outlast your forefathers' resistance? Then they repented and said, as the Lord of hosts has prepared, has purposed to do to us in accordance with our ways and our deeds, so he has dealt with us. See, the people that we, we share struggles with, they're not always the people that are right they're, they're not the people that are just necessarily physically present. God's people were reaching back into history, and we do this too. Reaching back into history or reaching out into the heavenlies to try and find these allies, try and find these supports in their life. And they would pull these together, and this becomes our support system. But God says, you know, there are times you need to consider, you need to rethink, you need to think about how is that support system? What, who is it made out of? Who are the voices that are speaking into your life? Today's message, I think the title of it is really a hope that God has for us. Something that he wishes for us to become, for us to find. Because he knows in this is really part of, the, it's that active kind of part of living out our salvation in this life. Today's message is titled, A New Family. Amen? Let's pray. Father, um, we want to thank you because your grace, your grace is overwhelming. You know, you, you go ahead of us. You chase us down. You, you overtake us at times with, with your goodness, with your kindness. And it says that your kindness is really what causes us to turn around. It's your restraint. It's not your judgment. It's not the way that you crush it's not the way, the power that you have that can topple empires and, and lay out mountains. It's those kindnesses 
those words that you speak to us when we're down, those, those ways that you lift us up, that you remind us that you always have our hand even when we stumble. God, it's your grace. We see that so clearly in Jesus. And here he was, he came, he lived, and then he laid out his life. He said, this isn't about me. He said, it's nothing that he gained from it. Instead, it was all about us. Something we didn't even know was wrong. And he fixed it. He saved us. He reached down into a pit and he pulled us out. So we thank you. Thank you for your grace. Thank you for the way you pour it out. Father, pour out your grace this morning through your Holy Spirit as he speaks your word to us. And, and I pray that our ears and our, our hearts would be open, that you would give us also that, that ability to see and to hear and to know and to 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 respond in faith, to believe, to walk. Jesus, we need to hear from you this morning. We pray that in Jesus' name, in your name, that that you would make yourself known to us. For your glory, Father, in the name of your son, Jesus, by the power, the power of your spirit who is present even now. Amen. Amen. Have a seat. In our lives, we all face challenges, right? We all face dangers at times. We all face trauma. Uh, If you're not in the midst of it now, you know that it's probably gonna come at some point. Those are not always horrific and so obvious as like a a bombing at a marathon or like an invading army coming and taking over and taking your, your uh, your whole population into captivity. But I know that there are some of you today that are facing some very real things. And sometimes no one around you even knows about them because you keep them so well hidden. Sometimes they are those, those physical things like illnesses or addictions or, or abuse that is going on or just ongoing pain and, and just the challenge of just kind of moving around sometimes. Some of you guys have more hidden things that are those internal challenges, those things like, a, like anxiety or, or depression or um, loneliness, PTSD. Some of these things that we carry within us and they're, they're, they're constant and they're a struggle. Now, we face those things and we have those people that sometimes they come alongside, they know about them, they, they walk within us. But I want us to know this, that even if none of that were true, none of that were there, that we didn't face any of those things. God's word has shown us that all of us carry deep inside, deeply embedded inside of us, this persistent, ongoing, spiritual trauma, brokenness that we have not recovered from. The, the Bible tells us that back in the beginning of humanity, we broke away from God. We didn't break away from him. We tore away from him. And when that rip happened, he didn't, he didn't lose himself, but man, we lost, we were devastated. And it tore us up. We were left helpless, we were left hopeless, we were left powerless, we were left in this place of darkness and despair. And we try and cover it at times, we try and cover it with, with shows of kind of psychological resilience, right? We try and cover it with, with these shows of like outward success. Say, no, I'm good. But inside, it's always there. When God comes to address the trauma in our lives, while he is concerned about every detail of our lives, the outer things, the inner things, what he is most concerned about and what he pays 
not just particular, but intentional and persistent attention to is that spiritual brokenness that is in us. And he does it because he knows that out of all of the things that we can suffer, this is the most critical, this is the one with the most long-lasting kind of effects, this is the one that has the most kind of dire consequences if it's left unattended. When Zechariah came and addressed the people of Judea with God's message for them, that is the thing that God spoke through him. He addressed, he didn't address, he didn't say, you know what, you need to start building up the walls so your enemies stop harassing you. He didn't say that first. He didn't first say, hey, you need to all break into like some support groups so you can kind of talk through the trauma of what's gone on over the last 70 years in captivity. He didn't talk about that. He said, you know what, you need to deal with this, this heart issue. He started by focusing and paying attention to their hearts. Now, to our ears, he, he began with some very interesting, an interesting opening if he's talking to them about uh, their hearts because his very first words are, the Lord was very angry with your forefathers, right? And we look at that and we go, really? That's your, first, those, that's your opening? Really? You're trying to comfort your people and man, I was mad at your dad, right? And, and they're going, you know, that's the best? You got? We know that. That's why we're here. We carry that every day, right? Do you ever feel that way? That sometimes you're, you're walking kind of under the thumb of God and you're just feeling that weight of, I know that. Because when we hear those words, what we jump to is we jump to guilt and separation and, and hopelessness. Why guilt? Because we feel like, man, if he was mad at our parents and we just kind of remind him of our parents, he's probably mad at us too, Right? And then we say, well, and if he's mad at us, why separation? Because that guilt then drives us further away from God. It doesn't drive us to him. That's the problem with condemnation in judgment. That's why God says he doesn't come to condemn us. He comes to convict, but he doesn't come to condemn because condemnation drives us further, separation. And then because of that separation, we end up with more hopelessness because we figure if, I'm, if, I'm, if God's inaccessible to me, then this spiritual thing is never gonna get fixed. That's where despair comes from. It's that underlining kind of current and theme that goes on in so many lives is just this despair. That we never will find God, never find relief from this thing. But is that what God's saying? You know, to find out what God's really saying, I think there are times that we need to know more about the words that are actually being spoken. And one of the words I want to look at, I want to start at, is the word anger. A word that's used here for anger. This word in Hebrew, in anger, and the reason I want you to know this is not so that we can all go, yeah, I know so much about Hebrew. It's not about that. It's because when they heard this word in Hebrew, they heard a very different thing than what riles up in our minds, what drives us to separation and despair. Because the word in anger, it's related to this whole group of words that means to be cut off or to have this like broken off end, something that's broken off. And you go, well, how does that help? How does it help to know that God's cut me off rather than just he's angry with me, right? That doesn't sound any better, does it? You with me? Doesn't sound much better to be cut off from God, but I wanna give you a picture. I wanna give you an illustration to let you kind of see what he's talking about when he's talking about this kind of cutting off, what this means. Last summer, our dog Lucy, a little dog, cute little puppy, and uh, she is, she's a small dog, but she's a mix of several even larger breeds of dogs. And so last summer, she discovered her inner golden retriever. 
you know? So for, for you know, several years, we had always let her out the back. She'd just kind of go out, she'd do her thing, she'd come back in, no problem. This time, she had gone out back, and she's out there for a while. We're going, oh, good. She's starting to enjoy, you know, the outdoors and that kind of thing. But she comes back, and I mean, she is covered head to toe, head to tail, with dirt. It is ground into her paws. It is all over her muzzle because she has been digging after a rabbit whose burrow was under our shed. And I look back there and there's this pile of dirt up against the fence in this big old gaping hole. And she's coming back and she's just, isn't that great, right? She's coming back so proud of herself. Did you see what I just did, right? And we couldn't get mad. She's a dog, couldn't get mad. She has a golden retriever in her. Of course, she's chasing rabbits. Finally, she's finding herself, right? But we still had to cut her off from coming into the house, right? <laughs> yeah. I mean, I can tell some of you guys have been there. <laughs> we had to cut her off from coming to the house because if she came in as is, she would mess everything up. She would mess up our lives. She would mess up our bed, which she loves to jump on. She would mess up our couches. and our, She would mess everything up. She was cut off from the house. Why? You know, so often we think of anger as being that, that passionate, kind of heated thing that's just short of hating, right? But that's not what this word is. This word was merely saying that God... It's not focusing on his emotional state. It was focusing on the fact that he had to remove his people from their city, from their land, from their temple, from their power, because they were ruining things for themselves, for those around them, and even for his plan of salvation. And so he had to cut them off from some things, remove them from some things so that he could do this, so that he could protect the things that he had for them from them, right? And there are times God, that's what is talking about his anger in this context. And this, this word is saying, there are times that God has to remove us from things so that we won't ruin the things that he has for us, that we won't mess it up and that we won't mess it up for everybody around us because he plans on saving the world. So there's no guilt here. There's no great, you know, widening separation. There's no need for hopelessness in this. This is just God simply telling them, this is what happened and this is why. They had to be cut off. I cut them off. That's why at the end of this passage, he says that finally, when they figured it out, when the commandments kind of stayed in place and they finally got their wits about them and they said, oh, God did to us just like he said he'd do to us. And the commandments caught up to him. And it says, when they repented, that's when he brought them back. Right? We need to understand that when God seems to put us on the sidelines, seems to cut us off from some kind of opportunity or blessing, it's not for our destruction. It is not to beat us up and to teach us a lesson. It's not about that. It is so that, so that he can bring us into the things fully that he intended for us. Psalm 139 says, you know, he's not surprised. He is aware that we are just dust, right? We're not, we're not the smartest beings in the universe. He is. So he is aware, just like with our dog. We said, you know, of course she did that, but she can't come in the house. The thing to remember is that God 
<clears throat> regularly reminds us this, this is what his anger is about. His anger is not about his passion and his rage at us. His anger is about protecting his plans for us. We also need to remember that God regularly says that he is slow to anger. He's patient with us. It takes a lot before he even gets to that place that he cuts us off from his blessings or takes us out of the path of opportunities. It takes a lot because he waits and he waits and he waits and in our persistence. And during that season of his patience, you know what he does? He sends us prophets like Zechariah that keep calling us back and says, you gotta turn back or it's not gonna go well. You gotta turn back or his anger is going to be poured out. You're gonna find yourself cut off from the very things that you think that, that you're loving right now. So actually, because of God's patience, I mean, it takes some doing to drive God to the point that he actually, his anger is shown in our lives, that it comes to fruition like that. The second word that we need to understand is this word return, because the second thing that, that Zechariah, that God says through Zechariah was return to me, return to me, so that I might return to you. Now, these people, they had, they had returned, right? They returned to land, they had returned to their lives, they returned to kind of setting up their businesses, they were starting to build up their city, they were starting to build up their homes and their, even their temple, but God says, you haven't returned to me. You haven't returned to me. So what does he mean by that? Well, this is where the forefathers come in, right? Because here was this whole generation of people that had been trained by their forefathers and they seemed to come back into this land and all that they did was they picked up where their forefathers had left off doing the very things that had gotten their forefathers cut off from that land in the first place. When he says, don't keep doing that, that's what got them in trouble. Return to me. Return to me. They weren't seeking God. They weren't seeking him first. They weren't seeking justice and mercy and his faithfulness and his kindness above all. They weren't seeking those things. So God tells them, don't be like your forefathers. They had prophets also who came and told them, turn from your evil ways. Evil in in. Scripture, evil is not just about morally reprehensible. Evil is about something that destroys someone else's life. That is evil, or that destroys your life. And so they would regularly talk about, yeah, are hurricanes evil? Yeah, it destroyed my house, right? That was an evil event. And if someone comes and destroys my house, they're evil too. It's talking about very, sometimes very pragmatic things. And he says, turn from your evil ways but they wouldn't do it. They didn't listen, so they were cut off. So we get to this and we say, well, what does that, any of that have to do with this new family, right? Because <laughs> we're going, okay, that's great. You guys, every day, I think we face the same kind of decision that the people that Zechariah was preaching to. I think we face that same kind of thing. We, we are we also have this like spiritual lineage that comes down to us. We have a lineage of habits we've been trained into, both in spiritual things and in life things, in relational kind of things. We have a, we have a DNA, you know, a genetic lineage that's been passed down. And it's been passed down from our forefathers and our foremothers. And, and it, it goes all the way back, right? It goes all the way back to Adam and Eve. And so we have been picking up bad habits for a long time. They've been piling up and been trained into us. And often those habits, those practices, the priorities we learn from them, those are the things that keep us from experiencing the presence of God 
a life that God has called us into, that keep us from experiencing the goodness that God has been trying to protect, that God has established in Jesus. So really, you know, these words that, that, I, that Zechariah spoke thousands of years ago, they come across these thousands of miles and thousands of generations, you know, or thousands of, of years, and they, God is really saying to us the same thing. He says, return to me, so that I can return to you. Don't think about what you've been trained in. Think about what I want to train you in. God wants us to return. God wants to return to us. He wants to return to us through his presence, in his presence and the fullness of that. He wants to return to us in his power and his healing and his provision and his protection and his promises, all of these things. And he has done everything to make that possible. That's part of what we celebrate when we come to communion. We celebrate that he has done in Jesus everything that was necessary for that return. But he wants us to return and he calls out to us. He says, you know, if, if he comes and he finds us continuing to align ourselves rather than to him and to his ways, into the things that he, we know that he's called us into and that his word makes clear that he has called us into, if he finds instead we're aligning to this whole other network that we call our support system, whether we find it in our world or in our, 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 our kind of status or our career or even within our own, our own families that we say, you know what, I'm gonna rely on this more than I'm gonna rely on Jesus. You know, a family, you know when a family is strongest is when everyone in it is hanging on to Jesus because he's hanging on to them. Then that whole family hangs together a whole lot better. Okay, and it's not about being religious. It's not about being, doing religious things. It is truly about grabbing hold of the one who has grabbed hold of you. So he says, return to me because he, he has done everything to make that possible. But when he finds us realigning with these other things, he says, you can expect to be cut off because I cannot have you disrupting. I cannot have you ruining the things that I've prepared even for you. So what does return to God actually look like? It's a realignment. It's a realignment of our hearts because that's what he's talking to. It's a realignment of our spirits. First, there's a realignment to those who can actually help you <laughs> return to God, Right? So realignment to those who actually will help you return to God. If you look at the people who, you know, you look back and you say, where have I gotten my spiritual habits from? And you say, well, maybe it's your, your parents. Maybe it's from, you know, some religious tradition that you grew up in. Maybe it's from, you know, just your own experimentation out there. Maybe it's from some pastor or something. And you, and you find that this, there's this, there's this, these people that have trained you and shaped you and you look at their lives and you don't see in their lives and in their practice, you don't see the, the power and the presence of God with them, why would you imitate them? That's what he's asking, right? Why would you keep doing what your forefathers, your foremothers, they've been doing that never got them anywhere, got them cut off from the very things of God? It says instead, look around. Look around for that family, that, that, the ones that he is calling you to realign with. 
The question for us, you know, even in chapter two, chapter two, God's gonna say this in Zechariah. He's gonna say, you know what? I'm even going to call those who are non-Jewish nations, Gentiles, don't know anything about me, and they're going to come and be a part of this family. They're gonna be a part of this new creation that I'm making. Why? Because all of that lineage and all of that spiritual tradition, that doesn't matter. What matters is a heart after me, and they're going to have it, so they're going to be brought in. So the question is, one of the questions for us is, who are the people that are in your life that you have, that you have allowed to come alongside or invited to come alongside or you have attached yourself to that help you learn how to return to God so he can return to you. And you, you've chosen them because in them you see his presence and his power. You see his promises. You see that they are the ones that, that model this thing, this life that God wants to, and that you want to be a part of. Who are those? Because we all need to, we need to understand, we need to realign our lives so that they are that primary network. Second, we need to realign, <laughs> it's very specific, to the prophets, to the prophets. Even in this day, God has his prophets. Now, they don't just speak of their own. They speak the word of God, and it is the thing that keeps us on track with where we should be. Now, there are true prophets, there are false prophets. False prophets are easy to let into your life because they tell you what you want to hear or they tell you what you expect to hear. It might even be condemnation and guilt, but if they speak it to you, you're going, yeah, that's what I deserve. But they don't help you get anywhere. True prophets are annoying because just when you think, God, everything's going great, they're the ones that say, no, you got to get back to God. And they keep driving us back to the heart of God. It's just a pain. It's like we were doing so good, and then you came along. And so what the church has done, <laughs> I really think the church, to a large part, they either, if a prophet shows up, they ignore them, or they drive them off into the wilderness somewhere. And you know what that's equivalent to spiritually? That's like pulling your eyes out. Pull out your own eyes. Who are the people in your life that God has called, that God has raised up as prophets and you have invited in so that you do not stray and they don't let you off the hook? Who are those? You guys, we need to let those people in our lives, we need to let those people back in the church. I think the church is largely blind because we have driven prophets out of our midst. And I don't just mean people that preach passionately or that make us feel bad or feel conviction about what they say. It's not about that. It's that God has raised up for his people those who will speak for him. And when they speak, you know that God is calling. He's speaking and calling us to align with his heart. Third, is a realignment with grace. In Zechariah's day, God tells the people, you know what had caught up to him, what would warn him out was the statutes and the commandments and, the, and these ordinances of God. 
they had gone in and they tried to square off with God's ordinances and they had pounded them for 70 years and finally they get to the end of 70 years and they go, okay, I quit. Why? Because the commandments wouldn't move, but they wore down. He finally said, okay, you've done what you said you're gonna do and we to, we're, we're done. We repent, we turn back to you. God said, finally, and he brings them back home. That was then. In our day, you know what he says? overtakes us, chases us down. It's not his commandments, it's not judgment, it's grace. It says that what chases us down is not the fact that we have to somehow keep up to God's commandments, but that Jesus already, he already kept all the commandments and all we gotta do is get into him. We just have to make sure we're attached to him. And in that we find, and when we fall, it's like it's this immediate, we don't have to wait a year until we can go back into the temple, right? We don't have to wait until we can offer the sacrifices until we're, it's like he brings us, it's just repent and we're back in. Why? Because of Jesus. So grace chases us down. Grace wears us out. And just, I'm thankful to God that grace wears us out. I turn from God and I run, I run, I run, I turn around and there he is, right? Okay, I'm gonna run harder, I run harder, and I turn around, there he is. And not with this kind of condemnation, not with this, this is where you failed, but with this, don't you see how much I love you and how far I will run to find you? You can't outrun me. You won't go far enough. Realignment to grace. Who are those people? Where is that place where you find the grace of God poured out? And you're called back again and again and again to Jesus' side, to the arms of your Father, to that place of resurrection, a place of restoration. Where is that? You guys, we live in a world full of trauma. Our God has come alongside of us to share that load with us and to make himself known to us. And he says, if you will return to me, then I can return to you. We live in a day where, and in a place, in a world where God is every day taking strangers and making them family. We were strangers to God. God was a stranger to us. And he says, you know what? Through this, you're gonna find we're family. The connection is gonna be deeper than anything. The, the wound is deeper. The trauma is deeper. So this connection is gonna be an eternal connection because you're mine and I am your God. Amen? Amen. Praise God.